Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. So today we are venturing into this whole new challenge called Embracing the Word of God. And uh, if you're new today, a challenge is something that, I mean, we're not just learning this, we are challenging ourselves to put it into practice. And the reason we call this Embrace the Word of God is that you can, uh, I had a, a doctor once who wasn't a Christian and he said to me, well, I've read the Bible seven times and it didn't make me a Christian. And I said, well, the Bible won't make you a Christian. But sometimes you you might think that, like, I, I know the Bible really well, therefore I'm a person of great faith. But that doesn't necessarily mean that. There's something more about the Word of God that it has to be embraced. It has to become part of your life. When you read through the Scriptures, Jesus says, man will not live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he gives the image of the Word of God, which we're using, for the, which is used to speak about the Bible, as a, like a food, a nourishment. You need it more than you need to have three meals a day. You know when you've had, um, you haven't had a really good healthy meal for a bit, then you sit down to some really something really good and healthy with lots of veggies and it's so satisfying. But until you had it, you, you didn't realise, you know, you're on holidays and you're eating Macca's drive through or something like that and you think that hit the spot but didn't really. Then you have something really good and solid and you think that actually hit the spot. That's when you realise. Um, the Word of God is also called in Ephesians 6 a sword. It's called the sword of the spirit which means it's something we used to take into action in life, not against people but against, as we've been learning on that video, the principalities and powers of darkness in this world. In Psalm 119 it's called a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It helps you see where you're going and it gives you a vision for your future. Once you start to get into the Word of God, you find that it's full of different analogies as to what it really is. It's, not, it's more than just a book on paper. And today what, what I really want for all of us is to be people who not only know the Word of God but know how to put it into practice, but also to be very familiar with the Word of God so that when you're sharing your hope in Jesus with someone else, you know it. You don't always have to run for someone else with greater knowledge than you. You can do that. But how great it is if all of us knew the Word of God, its promises, its hope, everything that is stored in there that brings life and fulfilment to people. How good if you had it planted in your hearts? I, I feel sometimes in the West... We don't appreciate how valuable the Bible is. Many of us can have Bibles on our shelves that just sit there and yet there's countries of the world where people risk their lives to smuggle Bibles into their country. There's people actually go to jail for having Bibles or for giving their Bible to someone else. There's people who can't get them so they take share one between a community and they take a page each and learn it off by heart so they can have it planted in their hearts. And sometimes it's not till you're hungry that you realise what you really need. And at the moment we have an abundance and it would be so good to appreciate the abundance that we have here by getting into it now and seeing what it will do. And that's my prayer for all of us today as we launch into these next four weeks of understanding the power of the Word of God and what it means not just to know it but to embrace it. So I'd like to pray for us all as we get into this that we're ready to hear God speak. I, I actually believe he wants to speak to each one of us as to the, your best way of embracing the Word of God because my best way of embracing the Word of God may not work for you. So um, I like to read and I like to write and not all of you will like to read and write. You know, I was the child who sat behind the lounge chair at the bookshelf just reading 
And you won't all be like that, and that's okay. In fact, for thousands of years, people knew the Bible and were putting it into practice, and they were illiterate. So it's more than just being a good reader is the thing. Sometimes reading is great, but sometimes we think if you're the good reader, you'll get into your Bible more. That's not actually the truth. There's a lot of people who've never been able to read or write and they've known the power of the Word of God amazingly well. So you have to find your way. You can listen to the Word of God. There's a whole, whole lot of ways. I just want God, God's Holy Spirit to tell you what works for you so that you can start to put it into practice and not have to copy me because um, my way might not work for you. But if you like reading and writing, it probably will. Still, it's about a relationship with you and God that you have to develop personally. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much that as we sit here today, we're all so different. We all learn in different ways, engage in different ways, relate in different ways, but you know that and your Holy Spirit speaks to each one of us individually, which is just so amazing. So I pray, Lord, today, wherever we've come from, whether we know you yet or we don't know you yet, may we hear your voice speaking to us. Whether we love getting into the Bible or we don't love it yet, May we hear your voice speaking to us. And for each one of us, Lord, give us a vision from here on as to what we will do to live in the promises of your word and see them fulfilled in our lives and to encourage each other to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start off with this verse from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it says this, For the word of God is living, means it's alive, that's significant, it's not just a word on paper. It's actually alive and it's active. It actually is doing something. In other words, it's powerful. You need to understand that. Your Bible is not a philosophy book. It's alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the Word of God, your Bible, the truth contained in it, Remember, you've got to look at the truth contained in it. I was in a um, connect group once and there was a, a lady there who was um, just beginning to explore what it meant to follow Jesus and we started to read the book of Esther. If you know the book of Esther, it starts off with this wicked King Xerxes. And so we read chapter 1 and before we could get into it, she said, hang on, hang on, before we go any further, yes, does anyone actually like this guy? I said, no. No, we don't like him. He's just had his wife kicked out of the kingdom. And she said, well, he's in the Bible. I said, you're not meant to like everyone in the Bible. You're meant to see humanity in the Bible. And the Bible is incredibly real. So you won't open up the Bible and think, wow, am I meant to like all of this, all these stories? No, you see some pretty bad things in the Bible. And the reason is you see God's redemption for humanity that messes everything up. So the Bible is incredibly real. And so when we come to, um, to the Word of God as living and active, we know it's doing something in people who are real. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So you have to understand, because it says for the Word of God, it means something else came before that. And the verse just before that says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. It might sound a little bit confusing so far. What is this rest that we are meant to strive to enter? Okay, so what this in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, it's referring back to a story. You saw a little bit of it here. And the story of the children of Israel, the Israelites who were taken into slavery in Egypt. 
And Moses, and many of us will know the story of Moses, Moses was raised up as a leader to go to Pharaoh and to set the people free from slavery. And he brought them out of slavery and they walked through the wilderness for 40 years to the promised land. Now in the promised land, when they eventually got there, some of them got there, Joshua led them into the promised land. You'll see this in the beginning of book of Joshua. It says, God says to, to Joshua, every place you step your, you place your foot, every step you take, I'll give you that place. So they're coming from this life of slavery into this life of rest. The promised land is called the life of rest, where it's called the land flowing with milk and honey. You might have heard that. Where rather than living below your circumstances, you you live above them. You live in this place of rest. Rest doesn't mean a deck chair by the pool, can be, but rest means something internal. And I think we all know what that means. You know, when... um, Regardless of what's happening, you've got this peace and contentment in your heart. In, in, the, in the Philippians, it calls the peace that passes all understanding. In other words, I'm not sure why I'm peaceful because when I look at what's going on in my life, I shouldn't be peaceful, but I have a peace that goes beyond understanding. So we're called to live in that place of rest. Scriptures say that in God's presence there's fullness of joy. We're called to live in that place of joy. We will go through trials and tribulations in life, but we have this deep joy in our heart that God's going to work it all together for good because we put our faith and trust in him. So the writer of Hebrews is using this analogy of these children of Israel living in slavery, and living in slavery means living under the power of sin and death, being brought out of that, being rescued. This is what Jesus does for us, rescues us, and the aim is to come to this land, this promised land where you live in peace and rest and fulfilment. The promised land is not referring to heaven because in, there's still battles to fight, but they fight them and they win, and they win well. And walking through the wilderness to get there, a whole lot of things happened where they had to put their faith and their trust in God. For instance, they, did, they had no water. They had to put their faith and trust in God and they got water. They had no food. They had to put their faith and trust in God and they got food. But it took them a long time to learn to really trust in God. And so it says, let us strive to enter that rest because that's what you're called to, to live in this place of rest and abundance. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full or have it in abundance. That's what we're, that's what we're created for. And so he is leading us to this place of rest. But it says, you can miss out on that place of rest with disobedience. I wonder what you think that disobedience is. Probably got something in your head already. What is the disobedience? Like basically, what is the sin in your life that's going to stop you moving in this place of fulfilment in God, the place you're designed for, the place of peace and rest and joy? What is it? Is it murder? Is it hate? I'll tell you what it is because it's written here clearly in the book of Hebrews. Read from Hebrews 3.19 and so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. It's actually unbelief. Now, when I say that, you think, hang on, can this be true? Can the sin of unbelief be the worst sin? Well, the reason it is is because it stops you, it it prevents you from getting everything you were designed to have in Jesus. It prevents you from becoming fully human. It prevents you from becoming the person you were designed to be. It prevents you from filling your mission and cause in this world. It prevents you from being satisfied in life. The sin of unbelief. And, And the sad thing is about these children of Israel is that they, many of them never got into the promised land. So they got out of slavery and they got into the wilderness. And in your life, wilderness is like troubles. 
it's it's not fulfilling. It's the you know what a wilderness period feels like when things are dry and they're not going the way you want them to go. And then they'd have an amazing miracle. They'd cry out to God for an amazing miracle, and it's like suddenly I see God is faithful, but I forget it really really quickly, and I start grumbling and complaining the next time something doesn't go well or I'm not provided for. And because of that, it took them 40 years in the wilderness till they got to the promised land where it could have taken them two weeks. And, you know, I would like to fast track some of the situations in my life rather than spending 40 years wandering around learning how to put my faith and trust in God for everything. And how we do this is getting into this word of God, which is living and active in a deeper way than just memorizing it. It says the disobedience that Hebrews 4.11 is talking about is the disobedience of unbelief, a failure to trust. Don't be like them, the writer says, because their failure to trust kept them out of God's rest and it will keep you out of God's rest. So moving on, that was chapter 3, Hebrews 3, moving on to Hebrews 4. It says, for this good news that God has promised this, has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. So now he's saying this rest was announced to them long, long time ago and to you today who's reading this today, it's been announced to you that there is, a, there is a promised rest in Jesus. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. And it's the same for you and me. Now, faith doesn't just mean saying, I believe in God, because as the Bible says, even the devil believes in God. It doesn't matter who you are. Anyone can believe in God. It's actually putting your faith and trust in his love is what we're required to do to enter into that place of rest. And that's the thing that we want to work out today. How do you actually do that? So let me summarize so far from Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, which I've been giving you a little overview of what it's saying. Firstly, it's saying the aim of life is to live in this rest, in the abundance, the joy of knowing God forever. The uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And all the other good things that you do flow out of that. Sometimes we, we have this idea that my good things will lead me to a relationship with God. It's the other way around. You live in the favour and blessing of God and good things flow out of you without you even trying. They just flow out of you because you're living in the abundance of his goodness. Secondly, to enter this great and joyful rest, we must trust God. Hebrews 4.3 says, we who have believed into that rest. It's just trusting, not in your own goodness, not, not even believing that you've done things bad enough to move you out of God's rest, but just trusting in his goodness, nothing to do with you, all to do with him. Thirdly, to believe God, to trust him, we must hear his word. We must hear the good news. If you don't if you want to know who he is, you really have to be in his word. You have to be knowing what it's saying. Otherwise, you're not going to be entering into the good news. And if you get into the word of God every day, I promise you, the Holy Spirit will speak to you something new and fresh every day that will speak to your heart on that day. Fourthly, we must know the promises that he makes for us to believe. If you don't know his promises, you won't be able to live in them. And Finally, we must be diligent lest we give way to unbelief. Habits are incredibly important because without habits of being here like you are today, being here like you are today, it doesn't win you God's favour because you already have God's favour, but it enables you to live more fully in his favour. Habits like reading your Bible every day, the same. It enables you to live more fully in the blessing and the favour of God and bring that beauty into the world around you. We need good habits. You have lots of other good habits in life. You have habits like 
showering and sleeping and eating and all those sorts of things that you don't give up on. But then we have these incredibly valuable habits that not only transform us but transform the world around us and we often neglect them because we get pulled away. So habits help us stay doing these things that actually bring life to us. So back to Hebrews 4.12, which might make a little bit more sense now. It says, for the word of God is alive and active. So you want to live in this life of rest that God's prepared for you. Jesus came and gave his life so that you could live in it. And this is how we enter into it. You get the word of God because it's alive and active. It's doing something. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. This is a powerful thing, the word of God. So you could now analyse what does it mean, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. We won't go to that but today, but let's just go to what it's saying. It's going deep. It's a sword that is incredibly sharp, sharp on both sides, and it goes deep. And it goes to the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You know, the knights of the medieval period had a two-edged sword and it was an incredibly precious thing to have. It was often passed down from generation to generation. It was something that you could use to fight battles with and to win, but you had to learn how to take it and to use it. And the word of God is the same for us. It's a two-edged sword. You've got to take it and you've got to know how to use it and you've got to learn how to pass it down from generation to generation. So when it says it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, sometimes we react to that word judge because you think of it judgment as meaning condemning. But judgment actually means assess, to have a look at the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And here's where you have to partner with the Holy Spirit when you read the Word of God because you can read it. I, I don't know about you, but I'm really good at reading a page and thinking about something else. Has anyone ever done that? And you get to the bottom of the page and you realise you have no no idea what you read because your mind went to something else. And it could be, for me, sometimes it's um, something else that came into my mind that has nothing to do with what I'm reading. This is whether I'm reading the Bible or whether I'm reading a book or something else. Or sometimes it's my mind got stuck on one little thing I read, but I keep reading and I forget it. So you have to learn how to partner with this. So it's not the volume of scripture that you read, it's how you allow this sword to penetrate your heart, to assess your heart. So you can just read it, you can quote scripture off by heart, but do you actually allow it to come in and assess the condition of your heart? Because this is actually what it's asking us to do. It's asking us to allow the word of God to penetrate deeply. And to do this, you actually have to be really honest with yourself and with God. Because you can read it and you think, yeah, I believe that, but to be honest, you don't, don't really believe it and you've never ever stopped to think that maybe I don't actually believe this. You know, we've been singing this morning, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. But are you no longer a slave to fear? Or does fear keep coming back in and you don't know what to do about it? Because sometimes we can say these things And we can say, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. But the reality of it is, I haven't really. I say I have, but I haven't really done that. John Piper says this, eternity is at stake. And the way to enter that rest is faith or belief or trust in God's promises. The great danger in these chapters, which Hebrews 3 and 4, is not just bad thoughts. The great danger is unbelieving thoughts. Hebrews 3.19, they could not enter because of unbelief. 
So what we need is protection from unbelief. Day in and day out we need to fight unbelief in the promises of God. It's unbelief that will keep us out of God's rest. Interesting, isn't it? If you read um, in uh, the Old Testament, you read the story of King David, God calls him a man after his own heart. And yet David did some pretty bad things. He had an affair. He actually had someone murdered. And you think, wow, that must have um, ruined his life. Well, it brought trouble in his life, definitely. But he kept coming to God in repentance and seeking God and putting his faith and trust in God. And you might think that sounds unfair, Um, Sometimes we do think that's unfair when we hear wicked people and someone will say what they could put their faith and trust in Jesus and he would forgive their sins and the answer is yes and you think that's unfair. The only reason you think that's unfair is because you think in some way you are morally superior to everyone else and once we realise that we're not, that we all need a saviour, that there is nothing um, in us that is actually worthy of salvation but we come to him and we just put our faith and our trust in his love, it's when we get to that point that we realise that he is amazing, that he would take ordinary people like us and do something extraordinary in us. And so to get into the word of God, I want us to have a little practice now and to see what you could do every day when you open up the word. Because some people say, a lot of people say, I just don't know how to read the Bible, you know, because you open it up and you read a passage and what on earth do you do with it? So here's an example of something that you could do with it in whatever way you want to do with it, whether you listen to it, whether you read it, whether you write something, whether you're reading with someone else, whatever your method is, here's what you could do when you hear the word of God. So here's Psalm 23. Let me read it to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Now this psalm is actually a song written by David, King David I was just talking about, who stayed king. He received the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. He wrote this. Now what he's doing here is he's declaring the promises of God. All this, every verse contains a promise of God and he's declaring the truth about God over himself. And when you read this, you could say, I really like that psalm or you could say, I know that psalm off by heart, which you think wins you a lot of spiritual brownie points, but it doesn't. You could, whatever it is, you you, you note this, here's this psalm and it's truth of God. Okay, so I'm going to let you read it again. And then this time, this is what you can do with the word of God so that it's a two-edged sword piercing to the depths of your heart. Ask yourself, where's the disconnect between the truth of the promise and the true belief in my heart? So, for instance, take verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. And you can say that and you can say that and think, yay, that's great. But in your heart, do you really believe you have all that you need? Is there any worry about having all your needs met? I'm not just talking about your financial needs, your emotional needs, your spiritual needs, your relational needs. Do you really believe from the depth of your being? And that's where the word of God starts to pierce to the depth of your heart and say, right, this is the truth, this is the promise of God. But actually, if I'm honest, honesty is really important here, I don't totally believe that. I've got a fear that he's going to let me down. Or it might be, verse 5, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. 
but you're going through a time of trouble and it does not feel like goodness and unfailing love are pursuing you at the moment. It feels like other things are pursuing you and they don't look like goodness and love. And so there's a disconnect. And so you're actually allowing the word of God to assess your state, the state of your heart. And so I'm going to read it again and just ask God to show you one verse that stands out to you. You might think, no, all of them. I need to believe all of them. We're only going to practice on one at the moment and you can go home and do the rest. So let me read it again. And which one stands out to you as one that you would really love to believe? But today you have to be honest with yourself and say, I'm really struggling to line this verse up with my life and my circumstances, my view of myself, my view of God, my view of the world. So let me read it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, just 30 seconds to pick a verse. Who looks at it and thinks, no, nah, got it all worked out? Anyone? You can go make the coffee. The rest of us have some work to do. Okay. So you've got one in your heart. Here's a couple of questions to ask yourself. What don't I believe? So you're asking that, what don't I believe about that? Why don't I believe it? Ask yourself, ask God to show you, why don't you believe it? It could be that um, as someone came to me this morning after the first service and said, I don't believe it because my struggle is I just see myself as actually so unworthy because of what my life has been like. I struggle to believe it. So he prayed for him to understand the worthiness that Jesus won for him on the cross. Maybe it's that you think that you have to work harder to deserve it. Maybe you think things just don't happen for you because God wants hardship in your life or something. I don't know. You have to ask, what is it? why don't I believe it? Maybe it's because life has been hard and you struggle to believe it, that God could turn things around in your life. So what we're going to do now is um, to turn to someone else and say, this is the verse I chose. And you can say why you don't believe it if you want to. You don't have to, but just say this is the verse I chose. Now, some of you think, I don't want to do this. I don't like talking to people. And the reason I'm asking you to do this is for a couple of reasons. One is when you share your thing with someone else, you'll realise that actually we're all the same here. The reason you're afraid to share it with someone else, apart from the fact that you might be introverted, is that you think you can look worse than someone else. I promise you, you're not. We're all the same. You'll actually encourage someone by sharing with someone, this is the verse I struggle with today. And you can say why. You don't have to say why. But you can say why. If you don't want to do this, you just sit, just sit and just reflect on it. That's okay. You don't have to do this. But twos or threes, if you can do it, share with someone your verse. You've got about one minute to do that. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take some time now to consider what really stood out to you in that message. God has been speaking to you and what is it that he said to you? 
if you're in the room with someone else to share with them what stood out to you and I say to them how can I pray for you share with them something that you love about God and something that you're thankful for this week or phone someone and ask them those questions what do you love about God what are you thankful for this week and how can I pray for you bless you and have a great week